Welcome to the Security Weekly News Wrap-Up for the week of 10 April 2022. It's April 15th today. Uh, This is episode 204. We got lots of zero days, Cisco management networks, Elon uh, uh, spits in my soup, struts, all this and the show wrap-ups on the Security Weekly News. This is Security Weekly for security professionals by security professionals. It's the show that keeps you up to date on the latest security news twice a week. Your trusted source for accurate security information and expert analysis. It's time for Security Weekly News. Cyber criminals are working overtime. Last year in the fourth quarter alone, phishing attacks disguised as COVID testing information increased by 521%. Barracuda has identified 13 types of email threats and how cyber criminals use them to steal money from your company or personal information from your employees and customers. Find out about the 13 email threat types and how Barracuda can provide complete email protection for your teams, your customers, and your reputation. Get your free ebook at securityweekly.com forward slash Barracuda. That's securityweekly.com forward slash Barracuda. Monitoring and maintaining compliance is a never-ending struggle with a high price of failure. Firemont helps customers meet complex and varying compliance requirements. Firemont has fully customizable reporting, analytics, assessments, and dashboards to meet the compliance needs of any organization. With Firemont, compliance reports take a tenth of the time, and real-time continuous compliance eliminates the anxiety and headaches of audit preparation. Improve security outcomes by improving security operations with Firemont. Visit securityweekly.com forward slash Firemont to learn more. All right, I'm Doug White, and this is the Security Weekly News Wrap-Up Show, episode 204. On Application Security Weekly, number 192, John and Mike had William Morgan, the CEO and co-founder at Buoyant, on the show. Uh, William was on to talk about why zero trust is increasingly necessary for any kind of comprehensive Kubernetes security, and they went on and they were talking about some tips for Kubernetes security and, well, a whole bunch of Kubernetes stuff, so it's fun to just say Kubernetes a lot because, you know, Kubernetes, and they talked about it. Yeah, exactly, that kind of thing. In the second segment, the AppSec News. On Business Security Weekly number 258, Ben, Jason, and Matt had Derek Mankey on. Uh, Derek is a chief, uh, the chief for security insights and global threat alliances at Fortinet's FortiGuard Labs. Uh, Derek was on talking about how really focusing on a few specific techniques may be all you need to allow the organization to shut down a, a malware's methods uh, for the attack. And, and shut it down completely in some situations. And they talked about other issues about malware detection in that segment as well. In the second segment, the business security news. On Enterprise Security Weekly 269, Adrian and Katie had Bob Erdman, the director of development at Help Systems on the show. Bob was on talking about how to find the right balance between the reliability and efficiency of pen testing automation and human intervention, which is always a big debate, right? I mean, I, mean, we, I think most of us say that it always should be human intervention and we should always have humans involved in that process, and I certainly adhere to that. But there can be components of pen testing that could be automated, and so it's an interesting segment from that, that perspective. In the second segment, Justin Tolman, a forensic evangelist at Xtero, was on the show, and Justin was on talking about ways to leverage uh, the great resignation and the lack of talent in cybersecurity with digital forensics. 
and and how all this can be done inside of a zero trust environment to detect and mitigate insider threats. So a pretty interesting segment uh, talking about forensics and how that can be used, uh, especially in regard to insider threats. In the third segment, the enterprise security news. On Security Weekly News number 203, our old friend Russ Boschman from Secure Digital Life Days uh, was back. Uh, Russ had not actually been on the show, I don't think, since uh, Secure Digital Life went off the air before the pandemic. So it was great to have him back. And he was talking about biohacking and a lot of different body mods and things that people have been doing. So if you're interested in that kind of stuff, and I know a lot of you are, uh, there's always a biohacking village. At, at In fact, uh, I've never gotten to go into biohacking village at uh, con because it's always so crowded and i don't like standing in line and if i can't get vip treatment well i'm just out but you heard it here first but uh, it was a very interesting segment and it was really good to see him back on a security weekly show on paul's security weekly number 736 first up was mike wilkes uh, the CISO at security scorecard mike was on the show to talk about third-party risk research um yeah and the second segment, Amanda Berlin, always amazing. Uh, Amanda is the lead incident detection engineer at Blumira and is an associate with the Mental Health Hackers, which was, I think, why Amanda was on uh, Security Weekly several years ago talking about that back when we first started talking about that kind of stuff. Uh, Amanda's always an exciting guest and, and hasn't actually been on for a while, uh, but it, they were back with this new segment. And they talked about you know going from going to 20 conferences a year to going to none and how that kind of stuff has changed and what conferences were like during COVID and future plans, so forth. Uh, just, you know, it was always fun to see Amanda on Pulse Security Weekly, so check that one out. And in the third segment, the security news. Well, my thread of the week, I actually changed it. Uh, so I had written one uh, that I was like, eh, you know, we've talked about this before. Uh, and I, I was like, you know, this, I saw a story and I, I actually covered this story later, but the thread of the week is going to be management networks. <laughs> which sounds kind of lame, but I mean, we've all done it, right? We've all managed infrastructure without a secured VLAN for management. I, you know you have. Come on. I mean, and it's bad, right? I mean, you knew it was bad and, it, you know, it, it, you shouldn't have done it, but you did it anyway. And, you know, and it was probably not the end of the world. And, and you, you know, you'll get right to fixing all that right after that server upgrade and you get the email system back up and running. And, and oh, yeah, there was that other thing. And then there's the board meeting and all. Yeah. But, you know, when everybody went home, well, that was also bad. I mean, you got that call or email or whatever they sent you, and, you know, we all got it. And, you know, all of a sudden management basically says, we're sending everyone home. Please send an impact statement up as soon as possible and tell us how we'll keep those presses rolling while everyone works from their studio apartment on the Upper West Side. They share with seven other people and a French bulldog named Naomi that has bad breath and a serious gas problem. I mean, I mean that really happened, right? I mean, I mean we all got that call. And it was like, what? What do you mean everybody's going home? I mean, they're not going to work anymore? No, no, they're going to work. And they sent them home, and they said, keep on working, though. Like, don't, don't stop working hard. And they told all of us to make sure they could keep on working. And, oh, yeah, you need to go home, too. Like, I, I realize we sent them all home, and you're still sitting here, but, no, you need to go home, too. And you need to manage everything from there and keep it all running. And could you get all that done by tomorrow morning? Because, on you know, tomorrow morning, we're locking the front door, and security's been dismissed, and the cafeteria is closed, and no one's allowed in any of the buildings anymore for at least two weeks, which turned into two years. And so you went, and you did it, and you said, well, I've got to be able to get into this thing, and I've got 35 minutes to get this set up. So, 
you know, they said you'll never come in this building again without a full hazmat suit and a decon bath and some Lysol and lie for about 45 minutes. And even then you can't still go in the building. So, you know, what the hell? Just expose the HTML management screen or even better, plug that management interface straight into old VLAN one and turn on the juice. Yep. Uh, jump on the one train and in 20 minutes you're kicking back on the futon managing Cisco at the enterprise level and a torn up pair of old jeans that look like they might have come out of Willie, of Willie Nelson's trash can and a t-shirt that says where's the beef that you found in the stairwell back in 1995 but what the hell you know I, you don't have to leave the room and then you didn't leave that room for two years I mean well I got news for you those management interfaces were not supposed to be used like that and you probably knew that but have you thought about that lately? I mean, not that that should excuse sloppy coding and poorly built apps and interfaces that are full of holes and zero days and all this crap. But when you mix that attitude with a bunch of hackers locked up in their sweaty apartments with a bunch of IT admins that are also locked up in sweaty apartments and they need access and the hackers are, you know, bored, it's just a party waiting to happen. So I know it sucks. But you're going to have to lock this stuff down. Maybe you had it locked down before and you unlocked it because of the pandemic. Well, now it's time to get it locked back down. Pull those management interfaces off the main network. And for the sake of Yog Sathoth, pull them off the freaking internet. I mean, seriously. Now, I know, and I am not a security through obscurity supporter at all. I hate it. But you at least have to pull the blinds, okay? I mean, don't stick this stuff out there and wave it around. That's a really bad idea. Seriously. But, you know, you know who you are. And now the news. So speaking of this, Cisco issued a critical security advisory for the wireless LAN controller. You know, that WLC system that everybody uses. Yeah, that one. Uh, so all your WAPs and everything are being managed. Yeah. So it's used to manage your wireless networks. So the vul this vulnerability is going to allow unauthenticated remote logins to the device via, wait for it, just keep waiting you know what it is right you're shouting it out at home like on dora the explorer what is it boots what's caused this problem it's awful yep our old friend the management interface is back mm -hmm. now we all know that when farmer dave was on the show and he thought it was okay to expose the, his management interface on the internet and what do we say to him dave keep your management interface to yourself where it belongs but nope, people don't listen, and they just keep sticking these things out in public where they don't belong. Anyway, the vulnerability is 20,695, and it will allow attackers to gain administrator privileges on your devices, which is bad, right? I mean, to, to put it in technical terms, it's rated 10 of 10 by Cisco. They rated it 10 out of 10. So it wasn't rated 10 out of 10 by that guy, that reactionary guy down on the corner, you know, that, that's always on, you know, standing there screaming. It was rated that by Cisco. So this thing affects 3504 wireless controllers, 5520 wireless controllers, and 8540 wireless controllers, as well as Mobility Express and virtual wireless controllers. So that's the one you put on like VMs uh, that you use. And it does require, though, there, there were some conditions around it, which makes it not maybe seem like a 10 severity. But then again, if you have these conditions, if you're running WLC 8.10.151 or 8.10.162, and you have the Mac filter radius compatibility mode set to other, and I honestly don't remember what the radius compatibility mode set to other is for, but I'm guessing people have this. So anyway, a couple of things from this. Don't expose your management interfaces really um, patch this if you can. And there is a patch. 
Uh, and if you can't patch it, well, there are some workarounds on the, in the article that were linked back to Cisco. But mostly, don't expose your damn management interfaces. Jeez, come on. How many times we got to say this? All right. The April Patch Tuesday update uh, from Microsoft included a patch for 26,809, which is a vulnerability that security researchers said had a lot of potential for widespread significant cyber attacks. Uh, that, that sounds pretty bad, too. Um, but they also went on and said when an exploit for this is developed, which means nobody has actually pushed an exploit out yet, but it's there. The vulnerability is rated as critical, and it should be patched immediately, according to Microsoft. The problem basically is allowing unauthorized remote code execution via, wait for this one too, our other old friend, RPC. Yeah, good old RPC. Uh, apparently, this exploit could run at the same privilege level as RPC server, which is often run with elevated privilege on, on most systems. And if you've never had to block port 445 for everyone and everything forever and always, I mean, I have I block that thing. It's the first thing I do is block port 445 from the outside. And you, you may not be aware, though, even that, that RPC is, is really famous vulnerability, right? And it does also run on port 135. So I, I have a thing about those two numbers. I really do. Like 445, 135 are like these two numbers I just don't like. They, they kind of, you know, like they sound like death when you say them. Somebody says 445, I'm like, mm-hmm, yeah, that's bad. But the exploit for 26809 is being compared to Blaster Worm. Now, I don't know if you remember Blaster Worm, but Blaster Worm is bad. It was a long time ago, but it was really, really bad worm. And then the other one that they compared it to was WannaCry. And I mean, WannaCry, also bad. So, you know, if they're comparing it to Blaster and WannaCry, I would guess, you'd, you'd, yeah. I mean, Blaster Worm is why I don't like the number 445. I mean, that's why when you hear the number 445 or you get up in the middle of the night and it's 445 a.m., and, and you go, oh, oh, my God, it's like those numbers on Lost, right? Yeah, it's like four or what was I don't remember what the numbers on Lost, four, eight, 15, whatever those numbers were. But it's like you see those numbers on clocks and things. And you're just like, oh, no, not 445. But anyway, Akamai did dissect this vulnerability. And essentially, it's a heap buffer overflow in uh, rpcrt4.dll. Um, this is, you know, any of these heap buffer overflows are, are really old-fashioned kind of things but they work really well and if it works you know the people are going to use it and basically if somebody writes something into active memory and it won't fit in the allocated buffer space those extra bits get written outside the buffer and that means there's something sitting in memory that could be accessed by something else and if you write a pointer in there or you write something like that you can actually point it at other code which then runs i mean this is how these heap buffer overflow kind of things work uh heap buffer overflows are also called a really bad day uh but anyway get started patching your windows boxes because they did release this on patch tuesday you've probably got machines that are vulnerable to this and somebody is going to exploit it so get it fixed now before it's too late and you're wondering what just happened with blaster 2 or whatever they call this new one as long as you're on microsoft a script that is used on windows 11 uh, was uh, was adding Google Play Store to the Android subsystem, and apparently it's infected with all sorts of toxins. So back in October, when, when Windows said in Windows 11, users would be allowed to run native Android apps. 
And that was, of course, met with a lot of like, hey, cheering. Uh, but when it actually came out, apparently you couldn't actually use it with Google Play. They didn't allow you to do that. So you could only use Amazon apps, which, of course, then people went, oh, you know, I, I, I can use it, but I can't use it with the like most. Yeah. Um, but a tool on GitHub was released called Windows Toolbox. So that's the name of this thing. And it had a whole bunch of popular features, which included a Windows 11 debloater. Uh, I, I'd like to get a debloater. I, I think everybody should have a debloater just, you know, like that you carry around with you or something. Oh, time to debloat. It's like a, it, it's like a sonic screwdriver. It's just, you've also got a debloater with you, but anyway, uh, it also had an activation script for office and windows. I presume it was to automatically do those activations so you can push your keys in, um, and a way to install, guess what? Google play store. Well, the script was really popular with Windows 11 users because they wanted the Google Play Store. And it was a lot. It reminded me of Back Orifice. And, and maybe you don't remember Back Orifice because it was actually a long time ago, like early 2000. But, that, but the whole thing really sounded familiar to me. Back Orifice was a tool that was released to allow remote management of Windows servers uh, because for whatever wacky reason, Microsoft didn't have that available. And you, you know, you could only manage it like locally on the host. So this back orifice tool was written and released and people were like, yay. And I actually had people asking me about it going, is it okay if I install this? And I'm like, what is it? And they're like back orifice. And I was like, it's called back orifice. It's probably not a good idea. And yep, it contained a Trojan. Uh, it was, it came from, uh, I think it was, I think it was developed by cult of the dead cow or low fat, which was affiliated with them somehow. But anyway, this one has a series of obfuscated PowerShell scripts that actually download additional code from, uh, some other places. And it basically installed a Trojan clicker, uh, you know, so that that's that detects what you're doing, and maybe so, and they said it could have other malware as well. So I'm guessing it's modular, so they could probably install whatever they wanted to. But the article, if you're interested in this, has a whole lot of source code and examples of the deconstructed code, so you can actually check out what it's doing. Uh, there is a list in the article of tasks which you can check. Uh, that's in the C colon backslash system file folder to see if you actually have this infection. And they did also include removal instructions for how to get rid of the script and all of its uh, various functions. So if you have downloaded that, you may want to check that out. And, uh, and if you haven't downloaded it, I would recommend avoiding it. Um, as long as we're doing zero days anyway, Google has released an update to Chrome, which seems to happen quite a lot lately. Uh, the latest update is to fix yet another zero day in Chrome, which is 1364. So pretty early one for this year. Uh, Google said that it's being used in the wild actively. Uh, the update has not yet been pushed out. And the reason I reported on this, not because we see these so much, but they have not yet pushed the update, but you can get it by going uh, to about Google Chrome if you're using that, and it will automatically update at that point. I don't know why they haven't pushed it yet, but they haven't. And hang on, and I, I wrote in here, wait a minute while I go do that, which I did. Um, and that put me on version 100.0.4896.127, which said it was the current version. The bug doesn't have a lot of information about it. It was only described by Google as a high severity type, confu uh, a high severity type confusion weakness in the V8 JavaScript engine, which we've seen a lot of bugs with uh, lately. And if you don't remember, type confusion vulnerabilities are 
a really far-ranging kind of description that could be as simple as somebody trying to type text in a number field or something and causing a crash up to and, and, and including being able to write incorrect pointers into buffers, which lead, you know, those pointers lead to executables in other locations and so on, and they don't check for that. So they're able to push a pointer in, and then that pointer leads you off to some bad code or something like that. So they can very, you know, be very, very bad, very dangerous bugs. Not much else is known about this at this point, but it is the third zero day in Chrome this year. So Google did advise that you update Chrome as soon as possible in the article, but they haven't actually pushed the update yet. They must be waiting on something else, but I went ahead and did it. The FBI issued a public service warning on Thursday, which was advising about social engineering attacks related to money transfer apps with 800 numbers that are tied to actual banks. And um, this is a very, very similar to the common scams you see every day where you get that text message that says Norton Antivirus. I got one this morning that Norton Antivirus is about to charge you some ridiculously astronomical amount. I think the one this morning said $1,246 to renew my license unless I, you know, unless I responded to tell them to cancel it. Uh, but on this particular one, uh, you know, or, or it could be that, you know, when you see random hell bunnies asking for money in theaters, I mean. Any Donnie Darko? Anybody? Really? Come on, Donnie Darko. If you haven't seen that, come on. But anyway, I don't know what to call that thing in Donnie Darko. I call it a hell bunny, but whatever it is, it's kind of cool. Anyway, um, this new one is basically yet another of these text fraud sort of smishing or whatever they want to call it that advised you about a fake money transfer that you have that's about to happen to your bank account. And if you respond to the text, well, as ever, you get another text and then you get a call from the bank fraud department. You know, Chad calls you from the bank fraud department and says, hi, um, but anyway, basically what they tell you is then you have to reverse the payment. This is an old scam, but you reverse the payment in this case by putting their email address in the money transfer app and then transferring the amount of money to their email, which if you think about it is not reversing the transaction, but actually transferring the money to them. But according to them, this somehow reverses the transfer and prevents it from happening. Yeah, right. I, I just mentioned this one because it is a good article that has all the FBI advice that you can pass along with all your, you, you know, and I hope you're passing along already seasonal warnings about tax scams because in the United States today, April 15th is the famous uh, official tax day, although it is actually bumped to Monday this year because of the holiday, which is today. Well, Apache has struggled with struts for years. And now they've taken another attempt at fixing the remote code execution bug in the Struts 2 framework for Java. Now, you may have immediately said, wait a minute, Doug, I thought they patched that back in 2020 when this was such a big deal and we did stories on Struts all the time. But apparently, uh, according to Apache, the patch didn't work. Oh, uh, okay. And the flaw still exists in Struts version 2.0.09 and 2.5.29. So this particular exploit will allow the attacker just like the old one, to gain control of the system and do remote code execution. CISA issued an urgent request to patch this uh, as soon as possible. Uh, we used to see all these all the time. I remember doing all those news stories a few years ago and a flaw in struts back in 2017. Uh, it was in the object graph navigation language or the OGNL, if you if you call it that, was what caused the infamous, maybe one of the very first extremely large scale breaches back in 2017 of Equifax. 
so or Equifax. I don't know how you say it, but Equifax was breached in 20. If you remember that now, now if you if you don't remember it, you know that was back in simpler times when breaches were only like 20 million users and the world was young. Pepperidge Farm remembers, but come home to Simple Rick. But anyway, Java has been under a lot of fire lately with Log4J, Spring for Shell, and well, now a yet another Struts vulnerability. Anyway, patch your Struts installs immediately if you have not done so already. And finally, oh, Elon. <laughs> well, Elon still hasn't sent me that Tesla X he promised. And, and, you know, what's he up to now? He's trying to buy Europa or, or advertising on the rings of Saturn. Well, not this week. This week, he wants to spend enough money that even he might notice it. Is he going to spend it all to save humanity from climate change? Save, the, save us from the pandemic? Feed starving kittens in Indonesia? Clean up the oceans? Nah. He wants to buy Twitter to save the world from the horrors of censorship. He claims that if his deal goes through, he will stop censoring wonderful people like Rudy Giuliani, uh, Donald Trump, uh, Alex Jones and all those other fun guys. Uh, he says he will ban all bots and he will make tweets editable. Seems sounds like worth $43 billion to me, but you best take your Elon with a large grain of salt like most of us do. Maybe several large grains of salt because Elon often does things for reasons all his own. And I often suspect those reasons make him a lot of money. I mean, if Elon suddenly announces he's going to give every child in America an autonomous robot monkey, well, shares of Tesla will plummet, right? Because they're going, he's going to give away autonomous robot monkeys that'll probably take over the earth. You know, does that mean Elon really sends an autonomous robot killer monkey to children everywhere? Probably not. Some of his friends probably did a short sell of Tesla shares and made a billion dollars and said, yeah, thanks, man. Well, I mean, what if Elon suddenly says that Tentacle Coin is going to be the next biggest cryptocurrency in the world? Tentacle Coin prices go through the roof. Elon dumps his Tentacle Coin and makes a billion dollars and of course elon can do whatever he wants with no consequences if he spits in your soup well a lawyer walks up to you after he spits in your soup and says mr musk is very sorry please feel feel please feel free to kick me in the fork and take this 500 dollars off of any autonomous killer monkey cube uh, that we sell as a compensation but you do have to eat the soup so so please get started so will he buy twitter and turn it into the last bastion of free speech and conspiracy theory or did he just wake up, eat an exotic animal for breakfast and say, you know, I think I'll buy Twitter. So I can say whatever I want on Twitter then. Alfred rolls his eyes and says, yes, of course, Master Bruce. Uh, I mean, Elon. That's a wrap up for the week of 10 April 2022. I'm Doug White. We'll see you next week on the Security Weekly News. <laughs>